John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 1306.ES0609, certificate number 9509, ticker tape parades. When you finally concluded your amazing historic run on Jeopardy. John, I'm blushing. Uh, Did you receive a hero's welcome anywhere? (laughs) I was offered a hero's welcome in some kind of local Utah parade. Every little Utah municipality has something days in the summer. Uh, Pioneer days. Yeah, it's, it's it's not just Utah, I'm sure. Here's strawberry days, here's whatever their thing is in that town. Frontier days. Frontier. And uh, they said, well, we have this float with a massive styrofoam Ken Jennings. Will you, will you be on the parade waving? Where does that foam Ken Jennings live now? Thereby hangs a tail. <laughs> I, one of my great regrets is that I said no, because I was kind of burned out on all the Jeopardy media, and I was trying to keep a low profile that month, and I did not want to be in sugar beet days or whatever it was. Aww. And so I, so they, the, the giant Ken Jennings styrofoam head set sail without me. Did they just pick any random Mormon boy between the ages of 16 and 25 right. to stand in for you? Uh, yeah. They just found some white guy with short hair yeah. and it was perfect. Uh, they, they later asked, do you want, do you want the styrofoam head? And they brought it to my house. What? And so this it sat in my garage. Oh, you were living in year. Utah? I was, yeah, I was still living outside Salt Lake City. It was like the last year we were in Salt Lake. It was right at the end of the Jeopardy thing. They just brought it to my house. And it, and I was like, this is so... Think of all the fun things. What would you do with a giant styrofoam John Roderick head? How big is it? It's about the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> <laughs> it looked nothing. It looked little like me, I think. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely a white guy with short hair. I would parade it up and down the street every morning. I thought at Christmas, maybe you could like put a big Santa hat on it and put it on the roof, put it on my swamp cooler, buy an old gas station and put it up on the union 76. (laughs) (laughs) Basically all union 76 balls should be painted with my face anyway. In the end, I uh, ended up putting it on eBay. For, I, we, did, we did nothing with it for a year, and I just put it on eBay for um, some kind of heart disease charity. And it was bought by somebody at uh, some tech company. I think Woot. I think somebody at Woot bought it 
It sat in their lobby for a long time while they wondered why they had done this. <laughs> and then in some little used meeting room while they wondered why they had done this. And finally, Woot put it up for sale. I, I, I've been following the provenance of the giant Ken Jennings head. Right. And it's styrofoam, so I know it survives for futurelings. Right. In whatever era they're in, they've, they've probably passed by it. Well, no, they may, they the may worship it. At the, at, <laughs> like the giant gold Buddha. I hope they're carving a giant uh, John Roderick styrofoam head to go next to it. Wow. Kind of like the, the crazy horse thing to, to overshadow Mount Rushmore. They, they, it will probably be made out of be made out of the giant Pacific garbage patch. Your yeah, your fans are carving that into a much much bigger one. It's already just naturally taking form of my face. <laughs> Can you imagine if you looked at a satellite photo and the Pacific trash thing was gyring into something recognizable? Yeah, it would be like the man on Mars. How has that not been in a movie yet? Anyway, so Woot put it up for sale, wondering why we have this. And the, the ex Woot employee who had moved to a new startup, as as tech people do, sure. uh, you know that's. I'm sure does something similar to Woot, but with a name like Grump. Or right. Sitting there eating uh, free wheat checks out, slork, of a, right? <laughs> out of a bowl. <laughs> From the giant free cereal canisters in the kitchenette. Uh, he put down his wheat checks and bid on, you know, bought it from them. He, he, he rebought it from Woot. Whoa. And so his new company, I think, now has the Ken Jennings head. And I, Who I, is this Ken Jennings super fan? Uh... Just a guy, just huh. just a helpful guy. Just a helpful guy. I think at one, I think he's the guy who at one point reserved my Twitter handle for me. That's nice, although a little creepy. He, well, I said I'm never going to use it. And he's like, well, if you ever want at Ken Jennings, I just got it. So don't use a don't use like the real Ken W J right. uh, Seattle ninety five. And so when you when you came to him, when you decided to become Twitter's number one. Uh, American comedic voice. You just <laughs> called him up and said, "Give me that handle." I'm ready. Strap me in. And he gave it to you. Uh, no, I forgot. Actually, I start. I registered Ken W. Jennings and started tweeting. And he he emailed me and was like, "What are you doing? I've had Ken Jennings for like three years." Right. So it all it all worked out. But who knows where the head is? And that was my one chance. To, I feel to like marshal a parade. So so uh, uh, has did the head increase in price with each subsequent? Uh, purchase. There's been, I, I, I don't, my guess is it did not track inflation. I see. It did not keep up with inflation. I don't know what the demand for a giant Ken Jennings head is, Yeah, but it was never super high. We can all admit. There weren't like 40 bidders. Yeah. And I don't know if a decade later (laughs) there's been, there's been some rush of regret. Like I wish I'd bid on that head. If that ever comes up again. Right, right, right. Uh, have you ever been in a parade? Uh, I have, uh, as recently as last year, I watched my son march in the Ballard, uh, what do they call theirs? Norway days parade. Yeah. Uh, herring days. What do they call that? Yeah. The, the Lutefisk days. Lutefisk days. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was kind of running alongside taking cell phone photos. Right. That's as close as I've been to being in a parade. Did Even you, uh, when you were a kid, you didn't, uh, some little country parade where you pulled a wagon, nothing like that. Up and down the halls of the elementary school in our classrooms. Oh. Like you go, you go charm the older kids with your cute little kid stuff. I'm guessing you were in the Seafair Parade when you were King Neptune. I've been in numerous parades. How many parades would you, th- to the nearest, hmm. to the nearest five? <laughs> well, I would say, I mean, um, you know, I was, I was in, the first parade I was in, I think, was the Arctic Circle Alaska 4th of July Parade, where I mar- where I dressed as a clown to entertain the children. It was a, you know, it was a dirt street parade. Dirt uh, days, as we as we always have in our Alaska well, towns. All those little towns are like gold panning days. <laughs> uh, and I was working at a gold mine at the time, but uh, but yeah, it was just like a country parade where they had a '57 uh, Ford pickup truck and um, a guy on a 
Oh, well, no, there wasn't a guy on a unicycle because it was. Was there an Uncle Sam and Stilts? Please. Yeah, 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 okay. that type of thing. Uncle Stilts. Uncle Sam and Stilts. You should be the Uncle Sam and Stilts. And my clown outfit was like a like a. I painted my nose and my cheeks and put on a funny hat because you know resources were were scant. You're like if Alaska is going to half-ass this parade, I get to half-ass That's this right. parade. But I have been in about five large parades. Wow, large parades. So I was in the um, as a. As a Seattle City Music Commissioner, I was in the Seafair Parade. And then when I ran for public office here, Seattle City Council, I marched in the Chinatown International District Parade, the Gay Pride Parade. Oh, I've been in Pride. That, does that count? Did you march in Pride? Yeah. The, my- the length? Yeah, of course it counts. It's an nor- enormous parade. Okay. Um, and then I was in the Seafair Parade that year. And then as King Neptune... I was in the Chinatown International Parade and the Seafair Parade. Your your hilarious mythological alter ego character, yeah, that's King right. Neptune. Like I was sometimes no one there, no one knows when John's just going to come into a party dressed as King Neptune. I still I I put on that uniform every once in a while and go I I'll get that call again one day. I just remember they asked me last summer to be in whatever Redmond has. Uh, what do they? What does Redmond have? Word Perfect Days yeah, or uh, something like or that? PowerPoint Days. I there's, guess there's a. Like Burien has a parade every year. Uh, Fremont, of course, has the uh, right. the solstice parade. The naked people on bicycles parade. So there are a lot of parades still in Seattle, but the the Seafair Parade attracts it's huge. What fifty, hundred thousand people to the downtown Seattle and Torchlight so does the parade. Gay pride. I always accidentally end up driving downtown the night of the Torchlight Parade, forgetting yeah. that I'm not going to be able to get past third. No crosstown traffic, but but it's it's an extraordinary experience to be in a in a parade, particularly when you're seated in the back. You know, you're sitting up on the back of a convertible, waving, and people are you know waving at you and shouting your name in some cases. I brought my daughter with me uh, every time, uh, and it gave her a skewed view of the world. She, um, this summer, as summer approached, she said, what parades are we going to be in this summer? And I had to disappoint her and say, no parades, sweetheart. <laughs> We're not going to be in a single parade. Summer has been canceled. And she was just like, not in a parade? I mean, what's going on, Dad? Is everything okay? And I was like... Some years you don't go in a big parade. That's an important lesson when kids first have to learn that some years yeah. you're not going to be the marshal of anything. Uh, I think the first year she uh, was really impressed that people were throwing candy. And so she like jumped down and and started gobbling up candy. But from the... Isn't it the other way around? Yeah, it is. Isn't she supposed to be throwing but candy? But she saw other kids getting candy and she jumped down and, and started uh, from inside the parade. And then she realized it was much more fun to throw candy. So then she loved sitting up on the car and throwing candy to people. So did, did she enjoy the feeling of – you're making it sound like there's a palpable air of uh, just fun and adulation coming at you from the people. People love parades. And if you if you come all the way downtown and set up a lawn chair and yeah, – and, The night before. Yeah, and, and are there for the parade and watching everything go by, you're really there for the – you know, nobody goes to a parade and sits cynically – Although, uh, although I've been yelled at a couple of times by people. When I was on the music commission, there were people that yelled at us that we weren't doing enough. Um, like they, they saw that you were the music commission and they were like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah, this, that's right. We're going to give these guys a, a, a piece of our mind. Why would they come here just to boo at us? Well, it's a thing, you know. They're, but, you know, the wonderful thing I've learned about parades is that they really attract an extremely diverse uh, 
segment of the community. When you're in a parade, you are going to see people from every walk of life. All ages, all classes. Yeah. Um, people come down to, to celebrate, to, to, you know, to, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a civic moment where you really feel like a member of the town and that the town has a united identity. I mean, in your job, you're on display in front of crowds a lot, but this is kind of different in that the, the crowd is kind of moving past you. You have a new crowd every second. Yeah. And you're waving. And I think there are, you see people in parades who are just kind of doing the queen Elizabeth wave and not really looking. But if you try to make eye contact with people, they're thrilled when they the see the parade saw me. Yeah, when they see that you see them and they <laughs> respond, you know, with a lot of excitement, like "hello, hello," and you're like "hello, hello." It's like and, the parade is an organism, and it has it has turned its attention on them for a, right. for a moment. That's right. And uh, the biggest parade in Seattle in recent years was the Seahawks uh, victory parade after we won the Super Bowl. Yes. And that was in January and freezing cold. It was one of the coldest days of the year. And tens of tens of thousands of people showed The city up. shut down. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I mean, we went down and it was almost too cold to be believed, but, uh, but everybody stuck it out and there they were, you know, Marshawn Lynch. I uh, did not go to that one, but I took my daughter to the WNBA March oh, yes. when, when the Seattle Storm won their uh, possibly second straight championship. I can't remember. And, uh, it, it was, it did not have Seahawks like crowds. You could, no. you could race ahead of the parade and get to the next corner and wave again at the team bus. Yeah. And there are, which we enjoyed. There are, uh, you know, like parades that are more manageable, right? Yeah. If you, if you go to the Burien, uh, summer days parade, you can, you can get a good seat yeah, even you, late in the afternoon. You could not have paid me enough to go to the Seahawks one. I gotta say. But the, the, uh, the Chinatown international district parade here is like a total explosion. You forget how many uh, communities in the city use drill teams <laughs> as a way of, you know, getting people together, learning a coordinated activity. They're not just bands, you know, there are sure. people waving flags. And, They're dancing. And a lot of coordinated dancing group stuff. It's true that most of us structure our lives in such a way that you can just go throughout your day and not be reminded that drill teams exist. Some days I don't see a single drill team. I know. Right. And yet there they someday then it's like a bus. They all come at once. But when you see a drill team, boy, you sure you sure pick up on it. And I appreciate it. I love a good drill team. But in the United States, and I think probably uh, I mean, parades are a popular thing worldwide, a popular way to celebrate. North Korea loves them. <laughs> North Korea does, you know, the the uh, the Soviet era. Uh, they loved their May Day parade. Currently being revisited with like Trump's kind of Fourth of July tank parade. Right. He really he he looks at the our current president looks at the the uh, Soviet uh, May Day era of like uh, saber rattling parade, and he's like, why don't we have those? It's a real high watermark to him. Yeah. He was like, that was a great year. I had a I had the number one New York Times bestseller <laughs> and the parades. We're fantastic. Can't we get a whole battleship up here? I want an MX missile now. Yeah, MX missiles, exactly. But the kind of gold standard of parades, at least from an American perspective, is the ticker tape parade in New York City. The famous uh, Canyon of Heroes, Lower Broadway in the Financial District. Um, And it's sort of the iconic image of a parade from, uh, certainly from the early part of the 20th century, the first half of the 20th century, let's call it where the confetti is raining down in the canyon of New York and, you know, almost obscuring the sky. It's a, it's just an 
amazing sight. No actual parade can ever compete. I don't know what it must be like to be in the Canyon of Heroes. Right? A fantastic experience to be feted in such a way um, where, you know, the, the, the just the sheer amount of waste and garbage <laughs> right. being thrown at you is like pretty astonishing but it's tons and tons of debris yeah to, to and that's what your achievement meant you know whether you orbited the earth or won some kind of sports championship it's worth this kind of waste i mean a, a, a typical ticker tape parade um generates about 50 tons <laughs> of confetti and paper debris being hucked out of all these high windows. Yeah, just hundreds of people sp- spend the next week sweeping it up, I yeah, think. Yeah, right. Like literally hundreds of people, 200, 300 people. With snow shovels. Just. With, yeah, with, blo- I guess nowadays, blowers. Yeah, snow yeah. shovels in the old days. Well, and and you're not wrong that um, that sports heroes are often the ones that receive ticker tape parades nowadays. Um, the last three ticker tape parades that happened in the Canyon of Heroes. Like they've, they've declined in popularity. Um, ticker tape as a ticker tapes really declined as in popularity, a media right? has uh, declined in popularity. I should probably start with ticker tape and, and what it is and why it became the, the, the way that we celebrate people. Right. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think, Hey, this guy did something really good. Let's throw long strips of paper out windows. It's not, that would not be my first thought. Right. Unless you had a, uh, a plenitude of long strips of paper that weren't very useful anymore. And that's what happened. Well, the first, the first great parade in, uh, in lower Manhattan that started there at kind of battery park and went up Broadway to city hall. Um, actually happened in uh, 1824, all the way back Whoa. when the Marquis de Lafayette, who had been the great, you know, sort of French hero of the American Revolution, was invited to come back to America. All the other great generals of of the Revolution were were long past Probably dead. It was 50 years later. Yeah, right? and the and Lafayette still lived. Um, his son was named Georges Washington. Lafayette. He named his son George. George. Like with the S? Yeah, with the S at the end. Uh, But he was invited by Congress to return. You know, he was an American hero. and Honorary citizen at some point, right? Yeah, that's right. And he accepted the invitation and he came back to the U.S. to, uh, you know, to kind of do a grand tour. You're welcome. And people at the time lost their minds. I mean... um, I guess the connection, this was a period of nostalgia. It, a lot of the Revolutionary War veterans were passing on, and it kind of felt like that. It was commemorative. It's, it's not too different. Given the shorter lifespans, it's probably not too different from World War II from our era, right? Right. You remember the 50-year anniversary of D-Day. Sure. And how, I mean, it was, uh, it was actually kind of a, a, a thing widely celebrated. We just celebrated... Uh, last year or two years ago, no, last year, um, the uh, you know the end of World War One, right? And um, hundred years, right? Yeah, uh, hundred year anniversary, and it wasn't as I mean there weren't like a ton of ticker tape parades because all those guys are dead, but it was um, you know it was like you say a kind of a moment where we mark the passage of time. But Lafayette was still alive, and. He landed. And it must have seemed like a special effect that you could see a French hero 
You know, because right. back then you would never, you could go your whole life without seeing a Frenchman. It right. was great. Right. Well, whew, I know, right? If you were, especially if you were living in like the mountains of Appalachia. Sure. You come down from the Catskills and like, th- there's the real Marquis de Lafayette. Here he is. And and he actually, he arrived on us. Like hologram, hologram Lafayette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He got up at Coachella and he'd, <laughs> he, uh, he'd guested with Snoop. Uh, no, he actually arrived on a Sunday and... Um, and they rode out to him on a boat and said, whoa, 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 whoa. It's Sunday. We can't, you can't land now. Everybody's in church. So like hold, hold, like hang out on the boat. <laughs> is, is there a green room for America? <laughs> <laughs> and so they did. They actually like said, he didn't say, come on. He actually like hung out for another day on his, on his little, uh, or his ship that he crossed the Atlantic and then arrived on a Monday. And at the time, uh, the population of New York was about 150,000 people total. That's funny. And 50,000 of them showed up to watch him parade up the boulevard. Fully half the city. Fully half the city. And uh and it was there there wasn't ticker tape at the time and there wasn't really they had not invented the confetti. Having, having not invented st- you know stocks being a new invention. But people, you know, lined the streets, other other members of the parade were became local celebrities for a time. There was a guy that was like leading the horses that captured people's imagination and he ended up in the newspaper. I was at a Mariners game and the fire, it was 9-11, the firefighter that threw out the first pitch came and sat next to us and I was just like starry-eyed. Like, wow, you're the guy that threw out the first pitch. Yeah. Like, even though he, you know, his, his brief moment of celebrity, but I was like, I get to sit next to that guy. Yeah. It's funny how, like, we think of fame as communicative like that. It doesn't, it doesn't take much, really. right? Right, um, But Lafayette continued all around America, and he went on this grand tour and was celebrated everywhere he went. There was a lot of suggestion that, I mean, someone suggested that on the day that he landed, every cannon in America fire simultaneously at the moment he stepped foot on American soil. I think that, I think that was mooted hard to arrange. Yeah. Like, um, well, because at the time there was not time zones, right? Well, time zones. And also there was not a, a method of communicating long distance information with, there was still, I mean, we relied on pony express and we relied on runners to communicate even, you know, even short distances. And it was sort of the middle of the 19th century that, I mean, you know, the, the, the first experiments with electricity and communicating things via electricity happened in the 18th century. Um, you know, scientists worldwide were kind of uh, furthering our knowledge and trying to capture electricity in a bottle. And one of the first things that it occurred to people to do was use it to transmit information because it it, it was recognized that electricity traveled fast. Hey, over this is wire. faster than a horse. That's right. That's what I still think when I see any electricity. I'm like, wow, this is faster than a horse. I see like an extension cord, and I'm like, wow, this is faster than a horse. Still faster than a horse. Still true today. Even the best horse. Mm-hmm. 
When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. It was funny to think that electricity wasn't initially real. I mean, we didn't think first that it was a source of illumination, that it was a source of uh, powering a, a carriage or uh, cooking a meal. It was really a lot of the early innovations were transmitting some kind of information. They weren't wrong either. You know, like that's still maybe the the pinnacle of what we've done. And if it all ends today, I guess the iPhone was the last thing we did. And it was it was communication. We're just we're just storytellers as a species. Right, that's right. And 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 our distance, like closing that gap of distance is um is something we're always trying to do. And unfortunately now social media, of course, has increased the distance between us psychosocially or psycho emotionally. More like anti social media, am I right? Lol. When you think about it. Ding. Where's that where's that bell? Damn it, I have so many of them. <laughs> they're not even trying. They're not even around. Also, that's not even a pun. You know what? I, I should get I should well, yeah, it wasn't a pun and therefore funny. You need a bell app. I know, I, I should. There's gotta be one on my phone, right? Well, how come we don't Ding. have we, how come we're not like morning DJs with a board of sound effects? Uh but it was uh, those early attempts to communicate information, one of the, the problems, of course, was that we long way away from being able to com- uh, to send voice over uh, voice over internet protocol or face. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, so how do you transmit information right in in uh, the early part of the 19th century there? We did not have yet uh, a Morse code. And so those early uh, telegraph machines, actually the, the, the notion that they kind of first came up with was that there would be multiple wires that would trigger little needles that would point to letters. <gasps> and the It's a Ouija board at both ends? Yeah, the ticker tape reader. Well, originally there were some of the early designs actually had 26 needles and the needle would point to the letter. What if you still had 26 wires come into your house and you're like, uh, the R wire is buzzing, honey. It's your sister Rhoda. <laughs> but you know, they're transcribing messages going like, okay, it pointed to the R, then the O, then the D, then the E. Um, and that was, you know, that wasn't all the, 
that you know that didn't become like the popular. I feel like even if Morse code didn't exist, I would think about that for an hour and think we need Morse code. Like yeah. I would just invent something like Morse code in my head. But maybe that's because I'm a product of modernity and people just weren't used to thinking that way. Well, and the next the next idea was you know one or four needles that could point to to several different you know the needle could kind of move and and they each had sort of like the like uh, fingers on a typewriter right they pick different letters and i love the idea that it might be actually a steampunk kind of a thing at the other end you know with little gloves dr seuss gloves uh there was for a long time uh semaphores were used as a means of long distance communication like visual visual signals there were towers built and uh within the towers there were paddles in a tall window and it was a network of paddles, kind of like the the arrows that were used to direct our airmail planes. Except these towers were all in visual connection with each other. It's basically the the um, the bonfire technique, the Lord of the Rings thing. Yeah, right? but um, but you could communicate with semaphores uh, through this system of towers, and you know that that continued to be used in France even after the invention of the telegraph. They were just into their paddles? So they were like, ah, this uh, telegraph will never catch on. It's the semaphore. It's like a it's like a fire tower, but it's two guys up there. And when they're done with the message, they just go back to playing ping, ping pong with the paddles until the next message comes <laughs> That's through. That's right. Or, you know, they're they're all uh they're all like light sadomasochists <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that's what the that's why the french guys kept the paddles <laughs> they all, just they just went back to kind of smacking each other on the bottom and yeah. and going ooh, oh, sacre bleu oh, marquis de sade uh but they they continued to uh, to try and develop this and and uh, and the and morris code was sort of developed by Samuel Morse in in about 1838 it didn't become the international standard of telegraphic communication until 1865 after the civil war For, so decades go by where they're like should we go with this well yeah different different systems using different uh like, formulation what's the beta max of morse code <laughs> there's some guy named greg use my greg code it's better and the thing about morse code is that you can get pretty good at it and transmit a lot of information but it requires that you get an education right you need to learn morse code and be good at it and i think uh, it that was resisted in terms of early adoption quite a bit easier to sit and watch a little needle point at various letters and transcribe it so but as morse code developed it um you know a lot of information was transmitted in fact the first the first transatlantic submarine cable was laid in the 1850s. Isn't that crazy? It's nuts. How, like, I can't believe we could do it. I guess you just drop it and let it fall. Well, you had really big uh, reels of cable, and you'd set a ship across the Atlantic and just reel it out. And when you ran out, you spliced a cable from the next reel and just kept running it and had to do that all the way across the ocean. The idea that they that they would feel confident enough to even try it the idea that you could make a cable that long right yeah, i mean yeah. isn't that crazy that uh and that it would continue to be useful and that we that that continued to be the way we we spread information for a hundred plus years you just let it go and you never see it again yeah you're like there goes the cable I hope, I hope it's okay it's the plot of a lot of uh of a lot of cold war era movies that you'd send a submarine down there and tap into one of those cables. Don't we still see that today that we're, you know, the Rus- Russians are not just going to, they're not just poisoning our social media with their bots. Like they're physically sending down their, their dolphin yeah. uh, spies to, to 
you know, toy with the cables, right? Uh, well, are they still? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think everything now is just sent in packets over some sort of Facebook, uh, like server bot. It doesn't go through the, some of it goes through the air. Some of it goes through satellite. I think, I think a lot of internet traffic still goes under the ocean. Yeah. Mm. And that's why you got to have your, your little dolphin robot men. But it may not surprise you that one of the early, uh, one of the, the, early uses of telegraph one of the one of the early adopters of it as a means of communication were stock traders yeah um up until that point if you were trading stocks you know you would have to send runners even you know to the to the brokerage a block away to say oh this stock just went up a, a point and we just sold 500 shares of it what do you guys say uh, it was a very slow-moving trading process, and in most cases, what they did was just kind of summarize the day and send that out, and then the following day would sort of pick up where they left off. That makes sense, honestly. It does. All industries should be on the day basis. But but the idea, the tantalizing idea that they could sell stocks in the in, in the and watch in the course of a day, prices go up and down, commodities respond to to market forces and distances would be no impediment anymore somebody in new orleans could sit and watch their little ticker tape machine in its glass bubble tell them what's happening in new york or chicago that's right uh, um, amazing that was a that was seen as an incredible bonus and all of this is happening still before electric light is widely adopted we're using electricity to trade stocks yeah. and then turning off the gaslight and yeah, going home that's exactly right i mean we're still bob cratchit is still putting you know a little <laughs> a lump of coal into his heater while this the the ticker is is feeding his his hunger for stocks do you think scrooge could have actually had one of those ticker tape things in the little glass dome like what's when when do those machines catch on well so they start to they start to popularize or they people start working on how to communicate stock prices via telegraph in in the after you know the immediate aftermath of the civil war but it isn't until 1870 when a man named edward callahan uh invents what is effectively the ticker tape um where uh, rather than morse code what we're looking at is increasingly an actual, um, an actually written out alphanumeric text on a piece of paper that is capable of, of typing out a, a, an abbreviation for the company name, the amount of stock, the, the, you know, the quantity of stocks that have sold the price and whether or not it's gone up or down in the course of a day in a way that's readable by anybody. And is the signal still Morse code, but there's something at the, at each end that's turning that into text on tape or uh, like what's actually going over the wire. Do you know? Um, so the earliest tickers did use Morse code, but then they developed a technology that actually communicated alphanumeric characters, but it was extremely slow to print because the, you know, the technology, to print out those characters was pretty involved with little uh, punchers 
and it took about a second per character to print. So it still wasn't... It's not that different than the dot matrix printers we had as kids, honestly. And pretty much it's the same. It's effectively the same. Um, But the best method that they could come up with was to put a long reel of continuous paper, basically the toilet paper roll uh, that Kerouac wrote on the road (laughs) on, but, uh, but, but one that, you know, using this kind of, uh, little ticker arm that punched the information into the, the tape. Uh, it's called ticker because it's, it's actually making a tick, 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 tick noise. Basically like, like the Morse code, um, did it, did it, did it, did it, uh, the ticker tape went because there's a little needle punching holes in paper. Right. And so you would you could actually sit and watch the market as it uh, as it unfolded in the course of just kind of pull, and you, and you'll see this in old movies. Yeah, they're, so, they're they're trying to wind it back. Yeah, pulling the tape forward or back and looking for stock transactions. Why is it always under that glass dome? I don't get it. What's what's is that just to show respect to the to the forces of capitalism? <laughs> think- the invisible hand is at work. It's a, it's like it looks like a magician's thing. It's a bell jar. It's always under a bell jar. It is. Well, I think there was a kind of a sense of uh that it was a it was miraculous and needed to be I mean, I think it was a very sensitively calibrated instrument. I guess it's true keep the dopey semi-literate guys with keep their inky hands off it. Right. Exactly. Um and it was it was it took a while for it to to, you know, proliferate, uh, Thomas Edison, who we think of as a great inventor, but also was a famous stealer of ideas. Yeah, uh, other people, yeah, kind he, of a, uh, very good at capitalizing on other people's ideas and right. not giving them credit. Right? He made a he made an improvement in the stock ticker, and in 1869, put out his universal stock ticker, which became. Kind of the gold standard. He could just throw the Edison name behind it, and it's just got a different color border, right? Right. Uh, by eighteen by the 1880s, I think there were about a thousand of them globally, and they were prized items that were held by big brokerages. Um, They're this, super expensive, super right? expensive, and 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 difficult to maintain, and you had to have an operator and so forth. Um, so they didn't, you know, it wasn't like there was suddenly one in every in every office. And there, this was an era where there were telegraph machines now, uh, everywhere, every railroad station and all around the world. Um, and then in, in 1890, it was recognized, Oh, we needed there to be some kind of like universal system. And so all the different competing ticker tape companies were all sort of force conglomerated, uh, into a group called the New York Quotation Company, which bought all of the different stock tickers and made them one thing. There's a lot of uh, hangover from the stock ticker, right? We still see the the ticker is running on CNN. Uh, the stock ticker it's is literally still, stock quotes, right? Yeah, on it, CNBC or whatever. It's still in Times Square, just running along the bottom, even though that's not how things work at all anymore. Like it might be better to have small blocks of text appear or to scroll up a screen like a phone does, but we still use that left to right metaphor. Still use that ticker. And we say things like, well, there was an uptick in commerce and that is. Oh, wow. Uptick. Yeah. There was a, there was, you would refer to a price increase as an uptick. And, uh, and if the price went down, it was a down tick because this tick was kind of the, um, the symbol of commerce, that sound. That was the sound of America booming. That's right. 
When did we get the idea to start throwing it out of windows? This is like the, the defenestration episode. You're telling me about uh, all these vast historical forces, and I just want to get to stuff getting thrown out of windows. Well, uh, we so the first ticker tape parade was kind of a spontaneous event, and it was in celebration of the inauguration of the Statue of Liberty. Oh, so in 1886, the Statue of Liberty was dedicated. It's just like Lafayette. There's like a French tourist visitor. That's right. Everybody loves them. She's And we made her wait in the harbor. <laughs> <laughs> She's been waiting for over 100 years. She's pissed. But you know, the from the Statue of Liberty, right, you would you would then come to the Battery, uh, the same sort of place that the... That, that's where the ferries to the Statue leave from today. That's yeah. right. Uh, where the Canyon of Heroes begins. Mm-hmm. And it was... You know, it was such a New York, New York wide celebration that uh, that all of these bankers and 1886, of course, this is um, this is after the the stock ticker became a, a kind of universal uh, apparatus. So offices are just generating tons and tons of these strips every day. I have to throw it away at night. And this is the financial district where right. where most of those things would be together. That and people now. just started throwing it out the window. I wonder who the first guy was who was like, <laughs> this statue owns! Yay! And like he throws the paper he happens to be holding and then everyone else is like, whoa, that looks great! Look what he's doing! Because it really it's just like to- toilet papering a house, if anyone's ever done that. No, I'm sure they haven't. But you huck it and, you know, it unfurls as it flies. And it seems to obey like different laws of physics than you normally see objects following so it's fun to watch yeah it's like the t- uh, a kite tail that is that is sort of universally because the 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 reel itself has weight and mass and so it's in motion and it is falling and it's, it's going to keep it's, falling its mass is changing yeah as it goes that's you right know? the it, point mass is moving it's getting lighter and lighter and it's be, and it's experiencing more drag from the from the real, from the tail the stuff behind it, yeah. So it was, it was a big moment, and uh, and we went three more years before the next ticker tape parade, which was the hundred year anniversary of George Washington's inauguration, and this was the type of thing that we celebrated as Americans more back then. It was our first centenary of anything. Yeah. Right. You know, like it was the first time in their lives that a hundred years ago there had been an America. This was it, yeah. right? 1889. Like a, it's a, it was a big moment. And today we're just sick of it. Oh, it's a hundred years since, oh, it's 50 years since the Beatles. Oh. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Shut up, uh, boomers. But, <laughs> but, but it was the first time there had been a centenary, you know, like it was like an odometer ticking over for a whole country. And a, and a moment of, a, of national pride. It was a moment where, uh, and the stock ticker also represented modernity and technology. Mm, yeah. And it's so. like throwing iPhones out of windows. <laughs> <laughs> have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com slash 
slash start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. But then, uh, then the following year, uh, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Not the following year. It was 10 years later before the next ticker tape parade. So so some of the collective memory of these parades probably is lost. Uh, it's 10 years before something else interesting happens. <laughs> but in, um, in 1899, the first ticker tape parade that celebrates a hero happens. And it's for Admiral George Dewey, who ah. was the, you know, the, the Admiral of the Navy and he, or ultimately the Admiral of the Navy and he was being celebrated for his naval victory in the the Battle of Manila Bay. Spanish-American War. Spanish-American War. This was at a time when Spain was still considered a global power, and they had an undefeatable navy, and America was this sort of plucky— It's like the Lake Placid hockey thing, basically, <laughs> <laughs> but with more, more casualties. And in—well, in, in the sense of the American Navy, almost no casualties. In the entire battle, uh, only one American died. Oh, I, I just, I'm thinking about other lives, John. I guess, yeah, I guess I maybe guess. you're just counting the Americans. I get it. Sure. Well, I don't really consider the Spanish full human beings, uh, but you know, good they're... job with the paella, but <laughs> uh, and flamenco, right? Except that's uh, you know a lot of other people. That's kind of your Andalusian yeah. gypsy uh, people yeah, the, you've, you've the, oppressed very much. The Roma <laughs> had a lot to do with yeah. it, but uh, but so Dewey came home from this extraordinary victory where he you know he routed the Spanish fleet. And was given what we think of as the modern ticker tape parade, you know, being wheeled up uh, Broadway with, you know, with the whole nation sort of celebrating it. And And it's it's probably getting more coordinated now. People are like, we're going to do the thing with the paper, right? Right, right, right. Exactly. And it becomes a, it becomes a, uh, a spectacle. Two million people show up uh, in the Canyon of Heroes to celebrate Dewey. But it must really not catch on until you can see it, right? Like it can't be until the newsreel era or something that it really becomes – because up until then, just only people in lower Manhattan can see this. Well, but it, it, it translates in photographs, in newspaper I guess photographs, that's true. right? You see an image of it and you're astonished by it. And two million people showing up, I mean, they're coming from Jersey, yeah, right? <laughs> they're coming down from Connecticut. Bridge and tunnel crowd. Uh, but then again, uh, 10 years goes by and the, in 1910 – there's a ticker tape parade for Theodore Roosevelt, uh, who was sort of recently no longer the president. And was he ticker, coming home? From- the ticker tape parade is uh, for a thing that maybe would be hard for Americans now to understand. Uh, it was commemorating Roosevelt's return from his African safari. <laughs> And uh, we should do this now every time some orthodontist comes home. <laughs> Yay, you killed a lion, now Trump we, sons. We just roast them on the internet now when we see the picture of, of them killing the elephant. Well, in Roosevelt's lengthy African safari, he killed no fewer than 11,400 animals. Wow, that's, a, that's more than the Battle of Manila Bay. <laughs> uh, a thousand of those were large mammals. And uh, over 500 of them were big game animals, what we would consider animals that should be protected from being killed now. By, by Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, including six white rhinos. Um, 
And he was criticized at the time by naturalists. Oh, is that true? And, Even in his day, uh, but not much because he's because he's a you know today he's a conservationist, a legend. You right. know all the national parks and when what his and his defense was that he he his expedition populated the collections of natural history museums all around the country. It's so rough when I travel with my daughter and we try to go to science museums, and if if it's a museum that's more than fifty years old. Half of the museum is taxidermy, yeah, and it just makes her cry. She, yeah, right. She refuses to go in any of those rooms. But if you want to, if if at the time you wanted to see a zebra, sure, um, you it wasn't zoos weren't weren't full of giraffes. At and that it's point. kind of the argument for zoos today. Sure, is this jaguar happy? Maybe not. But Maybe is it not. good for animal rights? If like you know, uh, ten thousand kids, can, more kids can see a jaguar. Maybe. Uh, but so Roosevelt got this enormous parade uh, and was, you know, uh, and actually ran for president again. You know, Roosevelt's right, on, the, on the dead wildebeest party. <laughs> uh, we should uh, we should do a separate uh, omnibus on Teddy on, Roosevelt. On the Bullman's party he, for sure. He, he's yeah. pretty hilarious. But that began a tradition of a uh, ticker tape parade every couple of years, every, you know, only for... For major events, it, when the U.S. won the Olympic Games um, in those early years, the Olympic team would be feted. Uh, you know, after World War One, there were a handful for, or or rather, a big one for uh, General Pershing. But you know, it was it meant to commemorate the troops. The troops, and then you know, if we had a real dignitary like Queen Elizabeth came, or uh, or I'm sorry, that would be pre Queen Elizabeth, but like you know, King Albert, George, yeah, yeah, Albert Prince of Wales or whatever. Uh, and then, and so that continued, sort of maybe in the twenties, we started to do one or two a year. Generally, not it was still considered to be a major, major event. And so how many of these are going to do in a year, you know, but how many, how many great moments are there? Um, maybe one, maybe two. Uh, and it isn't until 1926 that we see a ton of ticker tape parades in the space of a year. What well, kind of devalues it if there's going to be five of these in a year? Yeah, there are, uh, there are seven ticker tape parades in 1926. And that's pre Lindbergh. Like, who is it? Uh, well, so a lot, you know, like Commander Bird uh, mm. flies over the North Pole. There are a few of these. The biggest one that year was for a woman named Gertrude Ederly. Uh, she swam, swam across the English the Channel. English Channel, that's right. <laughs> and um, To be fair, that's pretty amazing. She'd already been in a ticker tape parade because she was part of the American Olympic athletes uh, from the 1924 Olympics. And she'd, you know, she'd sort of done the whole... The parade route with all because we we won something like a hundred gold medals that year. It was a triumphant year. It's like when you get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with your band, but then you get in as a solo artist also. Right, right, exactly. It's very exciting for her. Uh, and she, you know, this was early days of American women even swimming uh, competitively. Uh, there, right. Just the idea of what they would wear was probably very controversial for decades. Yeah. In, in 1919, uh, uh, like a, a woman who was a real booster of women's swimming, Charlotte Epstein, uh, promised the American swimming federation or whatever that women, she said, if women were allowed to take off their stockings in order to swim, they would, immediately don a robe after leaving the water, like, you know, immediately return to a state of, of 
chased coverment uh, <laughs> if they could be allowed to swim in a in a swimsuit. And you know, reluctantly, the the men agreed that well, harumph, 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 you know, it's a decline in our morals. But on some level, maybe that's an easy sell. They're gonna they're gonna no. take off a robe and then take off their stockings. Yeah, take off well, the, well we, the stockings we, are the final straw. We must object, but mm. <laughs> you can see her ankles. Uh, on some, but, on some level, I think they were probably excited. But in, in 1926, she was the first woman to swim across the English Channel and beat the records of all the male swimmers that had come before her. Because they was, were all wearing swim stockings. Yeah, <laughs> she was a, a real indomitable spirit. And she got, uh, again, an, an enormous uh, ticker tape parade on behalf of her efforts. It was a boom time for, for Gertrude's. Well, that's right. What, right. What a great era for well, for our brave Gertrudes. I heard, I hope that uh, that some futurelings, some uh, some great like bipedal octopuses of the future have have reinvigorated the name Gertrude. Uh, but I hope so. We can only imagine. They probably just click their little beaks. We're honestly, we are like two years away from Williamsburg hipsters naming their kids Gertrude. Gertrude. Yeah. Gertie. Uh, actually, she was named or she was nicknamed Trudy. I think Trudy's oh, nice. Trudy probably comes from Gertrude. It does. That never had occurred to me. I, yeah. I assumed it was intruder. Uh-huh. <laughs> intruder alert. Intruder alert. Or Trudy for short. But then you were right. In 1927, uh, uh, Lindbergh flew, flew the first solo flight across the Atlantic, and he was obviously like, this was before we knew what an awful man he was. <laughs> <laughs> but the, Yeah. I mean, that's a no-brainer for the, the ticker tape committee. Like, well, got to do Lindbergh. Right. Um. And then, you know, throughout the 20s and 30s, now we're in a place where we're sometimes getting five or six parades a year. Uh, the Depression puts a little bit of, uh, of, a, of a damper on it. But Jesse Owens gets uh, his own ticker tape parade for, for his... I assume that's breaking the color barrier it, for ticker tape it parades. It was, although there were, there were other African Americans in parades, but, you know, he... He, as um, the honoree, yeah. Well, and I think there might have even been a, a parade for, you know, specifically for an African-American. I, I'm, I'm forgetting it. I bet the paper was still white, though. Very insensitive. Yeah, that's right. But this was also now uh, a time when the stock ticker had become a ubiquitous feature in business offices. Everybody was following the stock market. Trades were, although the ticker technology hadn't really improved, it was still a pretty slow moving <laughs> And the ticker remained the main, the, the only way that stock information was transmitted all the way up until the 60s when uh, we first started developing other methods, you know, computers talking to one another over the phone. What happens then? Is it still printing? Are, are, are there, is there still some printed? record of trades that can be used for, for processional purposes at the, at the, so the, the ticker tape itself starts to, starts to wane. And by 1970 is no longer used as the, as the primary means of communicating stock information. So, it's coming up on terminals. You so know? what are we throwing up at throwing at astronauts at that point? Uh, the ticker tape parade is so ingrained in our uh, national consciousness as a thing that we do for our heroes that we started shredding office paper um, and shredders very conveniently create, although not super long paper, they do create a kind of easily throwable, lightweight uh, confetti that falls from the sky. But we started 
chopping up paper and making more confetti than ticker tape. I like that this is happening in the Nixon era, that shredders take over, (laughs) (laughs) take over for, you know, capital for ticker tape as the symbol of uh, American capitalism. And throughout the fifties and sixties, um, you know, we're still in this seven to 10 ticker tape parades a year because we start doing sports teams. I'm against this. We start doing the Yankees and the Mets and then the Chavaran comes and then the president of Panama gets a parade. And it's too many. See, it's devalued. Yeah. The president of Panama. Well, and not everybody's turning out for these, right? I mean, there <laughs> more people show up to 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 um, celebrate Gordy Cooper's Mer- Mercury Nine than that show up for Haile Selassie. Um, although, you know, Haile Selassie, like, sure, yeah, like probably deser- more, more Rastas showing sure, up for that <laughs> deserves his own parade. Uh, and we've seen the the Apollo astronauts; they all get them. But by the 70s and 80s, we're back to about one a year. Um, they fall out of fashion after the moon landing. And they end up in this kind of, bleh, you know, malaise of the Yankees, the Yankees, the Yankees. <laughs> I'm surprised there's not a Reagan era boom, you know, like we're back to good old American everything. So let's throw paper more at sports heroes. Well, so... uh the Pope got one when he came there in 79. Mm-hmm. And then the hostages, when they returned from Iran in 1981, got a ticker tape parade. In all of the 80s, only four ticker tape parades. Are we starting to see eco pushback? No, I think it's just that we are not. Um, it seems like a relic of the past. It seems like a. Uh, like a well, and there's some recognition that like every time the president of Panama comes, the idea of driving down Broadway in an open car, and it may it may partly be uh, uh, symptomatic of the decline of New York. Yeah, that's true. All through the 70s and 80s, New York was seen as a as a city that was in decay, and maybe a maybe an example of America we didn't want uh, front and center. In our public life. But then throughout the 90s, we're looking at um, uh, sports team, sports team, sports team, sports team, sports team. Mets in 86. And that continues throughout the 2000s. There are only three ticker tape parades, ticker tape parades in all of the 2000s, all four sports teams. And that is true to the present day. Starting in 2010, we've only had three. Uh, ticker tape parades. Can I, uh, it, can I guess? He, it was, well, the first Are one they was all the, women's soccer. The first one was the Giants won the Super Bowl oh. in 2012. And I bet there's a Yankees World Series. No. Oh, really? The last two ticker tape parades, both in 2015 and 2019, were, as you say, the United States women's national soccer team, who are now on a global stage, the that's, preeminent American sports that's, team. That's true. I mean, one thing that must make this harder is that you can't open your office windows today, right? Like if you have an office in lower Manhattan, I'm sure it's all climate controlled and hermetically sealed and- uh, Right, suicide proofed. <laughs> exactly. All those, <laughs> all those stockbrokers jumping out, all the hudsuckering. So uh, it must be harder to even throw paper at uh, at, at uh, Megan Rapino or whoever. Well, and also- uh, we are now much closer to achieving a paperless office. Yeah. And so I think in just to get the confetti to throw out, you'd have to, sk- you'd have to go up to the archives and scrounge up uh, enough 
I, enough material. I read for the last one they had to just order cheap waste recycled paper from the Midwest. Some place in Kansas will just send you strips and strips of paper, and then you go, okay, and you throw it at me a ham. Wow, that's an allegory for for the United States, there isn't go, it? There go our forests, but we did get to throw a lot of paper at me a ham. And that concludes Ticker Tape Parades, entry 1306.ES0609, certificate number 9509, in the omnibus. Now, having replaced uh, uh, ticker tape with uh, electronic communication, uh, John and I became parade honorees of our own Mm. in our time, just by setting up uh, outposts on the internet and waiting for people to come by and tell us we were good. Yeah, although my daughter is not interested in joining those parades. The online parades? No, she does. That's when probably I, good. When I show her my phone and say, "Look, honey, people praising me on the internet," she's like, "Wait, you're showing your daughter your likes?" Oh, every time I get a like, I'm like, "Sweetie, sweetie, come in, come this in." This is not a story about her anymore. <laughs> this is not a story about you. <laughs> I uh, I definitely show my son if I steal one of his jokes and it does well on oh, Twitter. Well that, done. That's when I show him. Yeah, and he'll otherwise he'll catch me. He'll be like, "My friends, I'll follow you on Twitter, and uh, you stole my joke." <laughs> Uh, we were at Ken Jennings, at John Roderick, and jointly at Omnibus Project on many a social media site, um, despite knowing that it was bad for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also probably didn't eat right or exercise enough. No, true. Uh, I had to take an Advil this morning because my body hurt. Not from doing anything, from not doing anything. What part of your body hurts? Well, doctor, it's kind of this whole thing. <laughs> Uh, we were the Omnibus Project at gmail.com. Uh, please communicate, throw paper at us that way. Uh, if you want to literally throw paper at us, use the postal system. Mm-hmm. Send us physical objects. At- Although, please do not send us confetti. That would not be funny. Let me just get ahead of you on that. You don't want to get like one piece of confetti in the mail? Oh, maybe one piece of confetti. Uh, you can send anything. Uh, confetti is nice, nice and light. It's mm-hmm. uh, very efficient to send in the mail. P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington. 98155. Uh, if you want to send us green pieces of paper with American presidents on them, do not use the U.S. mail. Use mm. a convenient donor system we've established at uh, Patreon. Uh, if you want to support the show, uh, keep it robust and healthy until the end of the world, uh, we need your help. Send your donations uh, via... Contributions. Yeah, contributions. That seems better. Let's say support. Donations seems like we're uh, uh, starving in Africa. Yeah, we're not ringing a bell out in front of a supermarket. We are, um, we're putting on a a show, a big professional Because we're doing fine. It's unseemly for me to ask for a donation. Yeah. Give us uh, your support, your financial support for our- Your allegiance. Hard work. Your allegiance. (laughs) Your your loyalty. In America today, the only way we can show love is through money. And so show your love. (laughs) Pledge yourself to us and our principles with the power of capitalism. Uh, our Patreon is at patreon.com slash omnibus project. Uh, what did I not say? Uh, did you say, oh, email us at the omnibus project at gmail.com? I, I did the email. Did you I say did the postal the address? Mail. I think you said it Oh, all. I didn't say the future links. There's a, oh. there's a group of, of uh, future li- of uh, listeners uh, commenting uh, currently about Juggalos. Right. Uh, they had a lot to say about Juggalos. I bet they did. And probably less to say about ticker tape parades. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You never know what they're going to glom onto. When will we have a ticker tape parade for the Juggalos? That's what I and every other Juggalo wonders. Also, uh, on Reddit, you'll find us at uh, the Futurelings. Um, 
on Reddit, and uh, they're a li- they are increasingly a lively bunch. I think there are quite a few redditors who listen to our show who have yet to go over there. And I, I, I am one of them. Let me encourage you to run over to the Futurelings and get involved. Is it the Futurelings? Is that the name I think of the it's thing? Futurelings slash Futurelings. Um, their numbers are growing. They are legion. Oh, that does work. Yeah, and uh, and they're. Um, you know, they're a merry, merry crowd because, as you know, Reddit is is a wonderful, supportive environment where no anonymous people ever say anything rude or or uh, or aggressive. Welcoming to everyone. Yeah. Our corner of it, at least. Uh, Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, might have been our final word. Oh, I like the new the new uh, tense. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.